Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 2, we pick up our study in verse 4. And Luke writes, he says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them, uh, each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For, those are, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a topic that is actually, I think, very controversial in the church. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the gift of tongues. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I can think of a doctrine that is, uh, you know, more frightening to people or one that's more abused by people, less understood by people than the gift of tongues. So many people in the church, uh, you know, have an unbalanced, uh, unbiblical view of this gift. Uh, and there are extremes. You know, the, the extremes are just total chaos on one hand. And then on the other hand, the extreme is just people saying, no, it's not for, the, for the, this time at all, right? And, and you may have a different view this morning than what I'm going to put forth. And, and you know what? That's okay. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be something that brings division within the church. But we should be able to look honestly at the Word of God look at it without any preconceived ideas on this topic, and then walk away with a proper understanding of the gift of tongues. So that's what we're going to try to do this morning. Now, in order to have the proper context for our study this morning, I just want to recap for you a little bit of last week's study. Last week in our study, we saw the Holy Spirit fell upon uh, the disciples. And it wasn't just the 12 disciples by themselves as if somehow they were special, closer to God or anything like that. You know, um, that's not the case. The Holy Spirit fell on everyone who was there praying. Everyone who was expectantly waiting on the Lord in obedience to his command. Everyone who was seeking the Lord for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we also talked about uh, how the Lord, before ascending into heaven, told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if you look in there in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And we talked about how this Pentecost was a specific day that was prophesied long before, beforehand. We talked about how Pentecost was celebrated for more than 1,500 years prior to this day. And now this long anticipated Pentecost, this specific Pentecost had now fully come. And now the Holy Spirit uh, was sent. We saw last week when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was accompanied by two distinctive signs. The first was a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. And, and we mentioned it wasn't actually a wind. It was the sound of a wind. And we learned that the Greek and Hebrew word uh, for spirit, is, and the same is true in Latin, that word is the same word used for wind. And because of this, we learned that the sound of this rushing mighty wind was, the, was a logical sign that God gave uh, to the people 
to, to, you know, reveal to them that it was the Holy Spirit that was being sent. It, it was a sign that God gave them to assure them that it was, in fact, the Holy Spirit that was being poured out upon them. We also talked about the fact that it wasn't just the sound of a wind, but it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It's a, a sound of a wind that was accompanied, associated with power and might. And then the second sign we saw as a manifestation of the Spirit being poured out was the, the appearance of these tongues of fire, right? And, and again, we noted last week, it wasn't a literal fire. It was uh, as tongues of fire is what it says. It looked like fire. It didn't act like fire. And we made mention last week how fire in the Bible um, uh, oftentimes is, is, uh, a, presents a picture of purity, Right? And the Holy Spirit is given to us in order to empower us to live a pure life, a life of purity for the Lord. We also saw how fire in the Bible also speaks of acceptance and God's pleasure. Right? When God is well pleased with a certain sacrifice, he sometimes, oftentimes would send fire from heaven to consume that sacrifice. And again, it was a sign of his acceptance and his pleasure with that sacrifice. And then we looked at this specific sign of tongues of fire, and we noted that the tongues descending and resting upon the disciples, right? Each of them praying and waiting for the Lord that day. Each of them who were seeking the Lord in anticipation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that the tongues of fire resting upon them was a symbol of God's pleasure with those who were offering their lives, presenting their lives to him as a living sacrifice. Something which that I pointed out last week is what each of us are called to do. Romans 12.1 says, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, right? Holy and acceptable, uh, to God, which is our reasonable. And that word reasonable there can also be translated logical. So it's our, it's our reasonable, logical service. And then that word there, service, can also be translated worship. So presenting ourselves is the logical thing to do. It's, it's the logical, uh, you know, giving ourselves as a living sacrifice is a reasonable form of worship. It's a logical form of worship. You know, it's a logical thing to do given what the Lord has done for us, right? He saved us. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. He's adopted us as his sons and daughters. He's written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And he's coming again for us so that well, where he is, we will always be. So that's where we left off last week. You know, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, the wonderful and beautiful understanding of what happened is that it wasn't just the apostles, you know, that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and last, like the Holy Spirit fell on them as some special group of Christians. No, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone that was seeking the Lord that day. And, and I'll repeat this again because it's so important. Now, we're going to take a look at the third sign that was given on this day of Pentecost uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. It says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right? Maybe it would be helpful to everyone to make it uh, completely clear to mention this, and I, and I hope this clears up uh, everything, but um, when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no way that you or anybody can see visibly that occurring, right? I mean, uh, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, uh, it's not possible with our human senses to discern when a person is being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no neon sign that, you know, appears above our head that begins flashing, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like that that happens. However, on this particular day, God wanted it to be known that the disciples of Christ 
were being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he gave these manifestations, right? And in response to the Holy Spirit being poured out on this particular day, those present, uh, again, it's an important thing to note. It wasn't just the 12, but those present, everyone, um, each and every one of those ordinary men and women who are waiting on the Lord, seeking the Lord for the promise of the Spirit, they all began to speak with other tongues. And the idea is that it was an unknown tongue to them. Okay? So in other words, they spoke in languages that, they, uh, that were not familiar to them, uh, languages that, that uh, were not, they were not previously taught. And it says that they spoke these languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, you know, if you just take a step back for a minute right now and just look at this, right? Uh, isn't it a little crazy to think that in response to being filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, God would give them the ability to speak in languages that they never knew before? I mean, uh, honestly, is that what you would have thought or is that what we would have expected would happen as a result of a person being filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, to me, it just seems a, a little bit odd. I don't know. Does it seem that way to you? To think that God would give to everyone present that day this instantaneous ability to speak in a language that they've never spoken in before. I mean, it just strikes me as a little bit crazy. I mean, again, who would have ever guessed that would have been the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. So the text makes it clear that, that it was each one of the 120 that were there that day. They all were filled, it says, and they all speaking, they all began to speak with other tongues. And they spoke a language that was, was uh, understandable to those others that were present. But again, it was a language that was unknown to those upon whom the Holy Spirit fell. Okay? I think a good question to ask at this time is, what would have prepared the followers for Jesus for this? Well, we read... And you'll remember the verse, Mark 16, 17, Jesus said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues, right? Jesus didn't really clarify or explain to the disciples what he meant when he said that. He just kind of, you know, uh, he, 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 at least he didn't clarify as far as we know, right? We don't have a record of that. It just seems like he kind of said it and left it there. Now, we should understand that each of the 120 that were there that day would have known at least two languages, right? Uh, the, they would have known and uh, been conversant and fluent in the common language of the day, which was Aramaic. Uh, and they would have known Koine Greek, which was the broader language of the Roman Empire, right? It's entirely possible that that many, if not all, of those who were present that day also knew other languages, right? It, but it's almost certain. It's almost a certainty that each of them knew at least these two languages. And, and that's important. We're going to come back to that. Some of them may have had a knowledge of Hebrew, and that's what people think a lot of people in, at this time spoke. But Hebrew was a religious language. It was really, you know, uh, reserved. It was really spoken by the priests and the educated men of Israel, not, not really the common man. And again, it tells us that they spoke with other tongues, right? Or languages that, again, were previously uh, unknown to them. Now, it just makes you wonder, what did it all look like? You know, how did it happen? And, and again, if you look at verse 4, it says, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right? This tells us that they did the uttering, but they didn't just open their mouths and, and uh, their mouths became a megaphone for the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak through. The utterance that was given to them 
they, the utterances that were given to them, it, was, it, it didn't originate with them. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it was the disciples that were doing the speaking. And this is an important part because we can never imagine that the Holy Spirit overpowers someone, forces them to do something outside of their control. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. He never is going to turn you into uh, or make you act like some weirdo or nutcase. That's not the way the Holy Spirit does things. We never have to fear giving ourselves entirely to the Holy Spirit. We never have to fear surrendering ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit to use, to use us mightily as he wishes. We don't ever have to fear that. Again, it says in verse 4 that the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. It's something that was given and it was something that they received. And that's an important point too. Like I said, it's not, it's not something that they were overpowered to force, you know. Uh, all of a sudden they became a, uh, you know, a automaton, you know, forced to speak in such a way that was against their will or with a voice that wasn't theirs. You know, it's nothing like we see in the New Testament um, demon possession. It's nothing like that. And, and you might recall, you know, remember when Jesus went to uh, the area of the gatherings in Mark chapter 5. Remember what happened? A man ran out of the tombs uh, to meet Jesus. And we're told that that man had an unclean spirit. And remember Jesus asked him what his name was. And the text would seem to indicate that this man began to respond to Jesus by saying, my name is and it was at that moment, it seems like a demon took over against the man's will and said, legion, for we are many. Right? So, you know, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. You know, neither God the Father nor Jesus, who's God the Son, nor God the Holy Spirit, is, is going to force us to do something that we're not surrendered to. That's not the way God works, because he's loving. He's gentle. He's comforting, right? He's not forceful or harsh towards those who love him, towards his children. When the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, the disciples were in complete control. How do we know that they were in complete control? Well, we know it because of the story, right? When it came time to preach... What did they do? Right? They stopped speaking in tongues. The Spirit inspired them. He gave them the utterance. They spoke forth the words. They spoke in a language that was not previously known to them. It was unusual. It was powerful. But it wasn't forced upon them. It wasn't coercive in any way at all. They remained in control. So, again, what did it look like? You know, what did they say? Verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking, uh, speak in his own language. Now, again, we can't forget that this probably took place in the temple courts, you know, and, and there was a very large crowd that was present. The Feast of, Ta uh, Feast of Pentecost, it was actually one of three feasts that every Jewish male over the age of 20 was required to attend if it was at all possible for them to be there. It was probably the feast that attracted the most amount of people. It wasn't just men, uh, Jewish men. It was their entire families because this feast occurred during a time that the weather was best suited for travel. So all these devout men from all over were present um, but there were women and probably children that were present there too. And the outer court of the temple, where this is most likely taking place, you know, it was a large area known as the court of the Gentile. And it was also known as the court of women. And so they're there and all of a sudden they hear the sound. Well, what, did, what was the sound that they heard? Well, we're not told exactly what the sound was that they heard. 
right? They may have heard the sound of that rushing mighty wind, or the sound they heard may have been when the disciples began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. That may have been what caught their attention. But whatever it was that they heard, whatever it was that caught their attention, as these men and women from all over began to draw near, they heard the disciples speaking in their language, right? So again, this is why I think this happened in the temple courts, because uh, not many houses back then, not many houses today could hold 120 people, uh, much less the thousands upon thousands that were there. That You know, we know there were at least 3,000 men who were there because they give their life to Christ um, when Peter preaches. Well, at any rate, we see these people hearing the disciples speak in their own language, and they drew near. And we see in verse 6 that their reaction was one of confusion. Their initial reaction wasn't, wow, how amazing is this? No, their initial reaction to what they heard, whatever that sound was, it was confusion, right? It wasn't what they were expecting. It wouldn't have been what we would have expected, I think, either that day, right? After all, after all of the confusion had passed, though, we read in verse 7, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galilean? Now, I just find that interesting. You know, how'd the crowd know they were Galileans? You know, uh, I, I tell you what, uh, it may have been the way they're dressed. I travel all over the world and they know I'm an American by the way I dress. And it may be because they were speaking whatever language they were speaking with a Galilean uh, accent. You know, when I, when I speak Hungarian, I, I have a little bit of American accent. They, people know I'm, I'm not Hungarian. And so that might have been. Galileans tended not to be, you know, um, among the sophisticated or educated uh, of Jerusalem. In fact, the Galileans uh, were kind of considered country bumpkins at this time. And, and so whatever the case, the people heard the disciples speaking their language that day, they were surprised by it because they were Galileans. How could these Galileans be speaking our language? And understanding who they were, I mean, that was actually a cause for their amazement. I think that's crazy. People are amazed when they find out I'm a pastor because they understand who I am. Like, what, you're a pastor? Yeah, right. I mean, can you believe it? Anyway, verse 7 then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're just full of new wine. The immediate reaction was confusion. It turned to amazement and they marveled. And that's really just to say that they didn't know what to make of it. You know, it was un that unusual. It, it, it was just some, some very unusual uh, situation, right? They saw all these uneducated, untrained men and women speaking languages that were, was understood by men from about 15 different geographical regions. I mean, this is a large area uh, of languages that, that are being spoken this day. The Egyptians... They were present and they, they would say, can you believe it? They're speaking in my language, right? And at the same time, you know, the Medes are saying, yeah, they're speaking in my language too. Now, you may have a different opinion, but uh, I don't think the men uh, from these different regions heard the disciples speak in their language only. And, and what I mean by that is I don't think those from Asia, when they heard Peter speaking, 
they heard him speak in their language. But those men from Libya, when they heard Peter speaking, heard Peter speak in their language. I don't think that's the way it, it happened. I think that each of the 120 were given a language, you know, uh, and the people from Mesopotamia heard a number of disciples speaking their language. And while the people from a uh, Ara uh, Arabia heard, you know, a number of disciples speaking their language. I think the languages of the 15 different geographical areas were distributed among the disciples. That's my view. Well, what were they speaking? What were they saying? I think it's really important to notice verse 11. We're told what they were speaking. They were speaking the wonderful works of God. Right? The wonderful works of God is what the crowd was hearing the followers of Christ speaking. And as a result of that, they were amazed and marveled. Some used it as an honest reason of investigation to investigate the matter further, saying, whatever could this mean? While others used the witness of the disciples as an opportunity to mock them, to mock them for what God was doing. It was just an excuse to dismiss what the Spirit was doing. They mocked them, accusing them of being drunk. You know, in a sense, they were saying, well, that could be, the, that's the only explanation, reasonable explanation. They're just drunk. For those who were honest about the whole thing, it was a good question that they asked. Whatever could this mean? And it, 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 should, it should cause us to ask, what uh, would it mean that God, that God would do such a thing? What does it mean that he would do such a thing in such a place at such a time as this? Well, I think that there are at least five reasons that God did these things. First, it tells us that the promise of Jesus is being fulfilled, right? And I'm thinking of the specific promise uh, that Jesus gave that we briefly looked at in Mark 16, 17, that said, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. Uh, there will be, uh, they will cast out demons and they'll speak in new tongues. I mean, I think this is a good reminder to us. Something that we need to hold on to very tightly as believers and never let go. Everything that Jesus said, Every promise he ever made will, it's going to be fulfilled literally as he said it. And that's something that I think is really important for us to understand as, as believers, something that we need to hold on to. The second reason is, I think, is it was to be a sign that God was doing something new. It was unusual. It was something new. This new thing that God was doing was going to extend beyond the borders of Jerusalem, beyond the borders of Israel. It was going to go across the Roman world at large, even to the ends of the earth. What God was doing on this day of Pentecost was to be a sign to the whole world. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what, where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are. What God is doing is something that you can be part of too. It doesn't matter whether you're from Egypt, Mesopotamia, or Cappadocia. Uh, you know, what was going on that day was for you. It wasn't just a Jewish thing that was going on. And thank God for that. I mean, God is to be praised for this. We all can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we all can proclaim the wonderful works of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? He has done such wonderful things in our lives. And it's more than a good reminder to just, to just contemplate the things that he's done for us. Hey, we need to do more than just think about it and remember it. We need to enjoy the things that he's done for us. And we need to praise him for it. And, and you know what? When we proclaim and extol the wonderful works of God in our lives... You know, it's a tremendous witness to those who are around us that are just overhearing it. You know, those that are listening in. What I find interesting uh, is that scholars, you know, they want to point out during this time, you know, they want, to re they want to point out that this is actually a reversal of Genesis chapter 11. Remember the Tower of Babel that God sent different languages uh, in judgment. He confused the languages in judgment. But here on this day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is being poured out, God sends out a number of languages declaring the wonderful works of God. And God means it as a blessing, 
Right? I, I think that's an interesting contrast. Well, the third thing that I think we should notice is that it seems as God is doing something special here as a sign to everyone that was present. Uh, it was as if he was saying, listen, everybody, okay? You need to pay attention. Uh, uh, again, it was a sign that God was doing something new and different. It was a sign that meant, uh, it was meant to catch uh, everybody's intention, including all of us here this morning. It was a sign that was saying, if you desire to see God do something new and special in your life, it's available to you. The fourth thing uh, that we see in our text, uh, it, and it's emphasized uh, that, it, that it's emphasized that everyone present, again, everyone present who was waiting on the Lord, everyone that was present seeking his face uh, for the promise of the Spirit, they were all filled with uh, God used them to speak new languages and declare the wonderful works of God. It just wasn't a select few. Right? It was every one of them. And I think this is meant to encourage us today um, that the filling of the Holy Spirit, right, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming upon you to empower you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is that you want to call it, right, it's available to each one of us today and every day. And there's, and there's much more available to us more than what we presently have. And praise the Lord for that. And let's not settle for yesterday's manna. The fifth thing I think that uh, this is meant to show us, and those who are looking on and watching, I think it shows us that the promises that Jesus made regarding his church before he ascended into heaven, they're coming to pass because he's pouring out his church now, uh, sorry, he's pouring out his gifts now upon the church, right? Remember Paul told us in Ephesians 4 verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to his church. And it's important because it would seem that the, the, the gifts that were given on this day of Pentecost, again, they were unique no other place in the Bible do we see the sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. No other place in the biblical text do we see tongues of fire. This is completely a new and unique work. It's never been seen before and it's not seen again after this. But the phenomenon of speaking in unknown tongues, that's something that we actually see in many places throughout the book of Acts. Right? And Paul deals with it in his epistles also. Right? Speaking in tongues is a gift given by Jesus, given to his church. Right? And it continued in uh, the early church. And we even find instructions in the New Testament how this gift is to be utilized in the church today. Right? I think it's useful to consider those other instances uh, of the gift of tongues found throughout the New Testament in order to get a full understanding of what's going on here in the book of Acts. So, you know, we see, and if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to have the, the verses up, of course. But in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that the, this gift of tongues is for the believer to speak to God. The gift of tongues is not something that's directed towards men. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So what do you think that could possibly mean when it says, he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God? What could that possibly mean? Personally, I think it means exactly what it says. A person who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but he's speaking to God, right? I don't actually think it's so hard to understand what Paul is saying. When a person speaks in tongues, he's speaking to God. It's not directed towards men. And that's a mistake that a lot of people make. And, and I think that, again, what's going on here is when, the, when God gives the gift, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the purpose is communicating man to God, right? It's not communicating man to man. It's very clear. And I think a lot of people, when they look at Acts 2, 
uh, on this day of Pentecost, they make this mistake of thinking that the disciples are using these unknown languages uh, to proclaim the gospel to the unsaved people that were present. But that's not what we see. If you again look closely at Acts 2, you come to the conclusion that that's the wrong understanding of the text. Verse 11 very clearly says, the people heard the disciples declaring the wonderful works of God. In other words, the, the disciples were praising and worshiping the Lord. They were thanking God with all their heart, mind, uh, soul, and uh, strength. They were thanking him for the wonderful things that he, he had done. They were praising him for his goodness, right? And his mercy. And all of it was done in a language that was previously unknown to the disciples, but understood by those who were present in that day. Now, that's not to say that the gift of tongues is always an earthly language, right? Paul seems to indicate something different when he writes to the church, uh, Corinth. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul says, though I speak with uh, the tongues of men and of angels. And to put this verse in context, Paul is speaking about the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12. And here, 13 and 14, that's the context of this verse. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul is referencing here the gift of tongues. And he indicates that the gift of tongues can either be an earthly language, tongues of men, or a heavenly language and of angels. Now, why is it a mistake to think? Why is it a mistake to think that the disciples uh, were preaching to the crowd with the gift of tongues. Again, it's because all had a common language, right? They all spoke Koine Greek. When I pastored a small church in Germany, we had Germans and Americans attending. We had, uh, at times, people from other countries in Eastern Europe. Uh, we had a, a, a lady attend for a long time from uh, Asia. And, you know, they all spoke a different language, but the common language was English. So that was a language that I that I taught in. So when Peter began to preach Christ crucified and resurrected, everyone stopped speaking in tongues and Peter preached in a common language. When the crowd heard the disciples speaking in tongues, they heard them speaking to God again, not to men. We need to understand that the gift of tongues is a gift given to the believer, given by the Holy Spirit to communicate with God beyond our abilities, right? Beyond, you know, my, my limits, beyond our limits of knowledge and understanding. And Paul writes this very thing in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, saying, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul tells us that he used the gift of tongues to pray, uh, pray to God, and Paul exercised that gift often. Uh, the next verse, uh, well, 1 Corinthians 14, 18 says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul was very pro-tongues. And again, Paul says, 1 Corinthians uh, well, uh, 14, 14, he says it again. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. He understood that his spirit connected with God but the prayer was not something that he understood himself, right? Or anyone who, who overheard him pray, pray. It was a language that was completely unknown to Paul. And yet, that is how he prayed very frequently, Paul says. Now, for some people, this bypassing of their understanding is something that they don't want. You know, they don't want to, they don't see a need to relate to God by or through anything other than their understanding. And, and you know what? That's okay. That's okay. You know, there's great value in dedicating ourselves to loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, as Jesus commanded, as Christians, it's something that we're to earnestly endeavor to do. But at the same time, I think we're to appreciate the limits of our understanding, right? And we should thank God and praise him for providing us a way to worship him, to praise him that goes beyond 
our limits and understanding. So if someone is completely satisfied with their ability to praise, worship, and interact with God, and they, then they have no need for the gift of tongues. That's okay. But when that person comes to a place where they desire to go deeper, to worship, to, to praise and interact with the Lord on a deeper plane, then my advice to them is they should seek the gift of tongues, right? Often, I think people are afraid of what they don't know. And they're afraid of the gift of tongues because they don't know how it's supposed to operate in their life. And I'll, I'll tell you uh, practically how the gift works in my life. When I don't know what to do or how to pray or during times where I'm really uh, discouraged or feeling down or even when I'm in a, a prayer meeting and I'm just agreeing with somebody who is praying, I'll quietly pray with the gift of tongues, knowing that my prayer, right? Knowing that the prayer that I'm offering is a prayer of praise to the Lord. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I think we need to understand that all language is something that we really, bottom line is we just agree upon the meaning, right? Sounds have certain meanings. When I say dog, if you're an English speaker, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're not an English speaker, you have no idea what I'm talking about. When I say kucha, if you're Hungarian, you know what I talk, I'm talking about. Kucha is dog in Hungarian, right? But if, if you're not Hungarian, you don't speak Hungarian, you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Since we're English speakers, we agree upon the meaning of that sound we make when we say dog. We know what that is. You picture in your mind Gunter, just the sweetest, most loving dog ever. Uh, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'll show you a picture later. I'll show you a thousand pictures later. Gunther's my dog, you know? But uh, yeah, that's the way we do it. We understand, we picture in our mind, you know, the word dog for us carries certain meaning, right? And we understand it. Uh, and if you don't understand it, that word for those that speak that language, it still has that meaning. And that's what the gift of tongues is really all about. We trust God that he understands what the Spirit is leading us to pray, even though we don't understand it, right? And because it's the Spirit that's leading us to pray, and because the Spirit knows the heart of man, we believe that the, that prayer that's being offered under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is perfectly suited for the matter at hand. Sometimes I think people want the gift of tongues so they can prove to themselves that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But people need to understand that the gift of tongues is not the only. In fact, it's just one of many, many evidences of being filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. Do you know what uh, the most frequently cited uh, evidence in the book of Acts of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it is? Boldness. Boldness is the primary manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit in, in the book of Acts, right? Some people will wrongfully say, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not saved. You know, it's just simply rubbish. It's not true, right? If anyone ever says something like that to you, my advice to you is don't even bother talking to that person, you know, because it's just not true. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 30, Paul writes, now you are the body of Christ and the members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, some prophets, third, uh, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, a variety of tongues. Then he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, it's interesting because in the Greek, the way the question is phrased, it demands a negative response. Do all speak in tongues? Of course not. Therefore, it cannot be an evidence of salvation. Right? A person can be very much filled with the Holy Spirit and not have the gift of tongues. And if a person asks God to fill them with the Holy Spirit, what do you think happens? Well, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. It's just that simple. However, if you, if you don't have the gift of tongues 
and you feel a need to express your heart, to express your love, um, to, to praise God in a, in, a, in a way that's greater than words uh, could express, if you need and want to worship God uh, in a way that's just deeper, you know, and, and, and that need is so great, it's so big inside of you, you, you feel like you're just about to explode, and you don't have the words to articulate what the Spirit, uh, what you're feeling in your spirit, you know, then go ahead and ask the Lord to give you the gift of tongues. In that case, God probably wants to give it to you. And as you pray and seek the Lord for that gift, believing that God wants to give it to you, then trust him to give it to you in his timing. Okay, and if you don't have that deep desire, again, that's okay. Don't worry about it, right? Don't worry about it. The gift of tongues may not be what the Lord has for you. But if some later date you feel that you have that need to seek the Lord on in a deeper way to praise him, worship him in a deeper way, then ask him uh, for the gift of tongues at that time. You're not any more spiritual than any other Christian if you have the gift of tongues, and you're not any less spiritual than any person if you do not have the gift of tongues, right? And, and you're not any less spiritual if you don't even have the desire for the gift of tongues, right? But if someone were to say, hey, I want to receive the gift of tongues, you know, uh, it, it doesn't come uh, to you by repeating some endless nonsensical phrase. You know, maybe you've heard people say, hey, I'd like to receive the gift of tongues. What do I do? And then someone says, well, just repeat after me. Should about a Honda. Should about a Honda. You know, that's, that's my go-to uh, uh, phrase, you know, to make fun of this practice. You know, people saying, you know, just keep repeating the phrase until God takes control of your tongue and you're on your way. You know, it, it doesn't happen that way. It just, it's ridiculous. Maybe you've heard people say, you know, just wiggle your tongue, you know, until God can take over. You know, again, it doesn't happen that way either. Tongues is just another language. Okay? And there's, you know, when you learn another language, you know, you hear the sound in your mind, you hear that word in your mind, and what do you do? You try to verbalize it. You vocalize it, right? And the same thing is true with the gift of tongues. You just ask God to give you a word and, uh, you know, to give you a sound. And then as he gives it to you, you just try to vocalize it, right? You make that sound and you trust God that he understands what you're saying. Uh, you may not understand it again. And again, that's okay. You're communicating with the Lord. It's not for your benefit. You're praising him. He understands it. And you believe. You believe that through the inspiration of the Spirit, what you're saying is perfectly appropriate for the moment. And again, people say, well, the sounds that I'm making, they just don't make sense to me. What should I do? Well, if you're praying for the gift of tongues, then you should speak it and believe God will make sense of it. Again, it's not for us. There's a definite, a very definite challenge to our faith when we, when we exercise this gift of tongues. Because, you know, in a lot of cases, it just does sound like nonsense. And I can honestly say, though, I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. But that's the whole point. It's an unknown language that most of us likely, uh, you know, won't understand. And if you're not comfortable with that, then again, maybe the gift of tongues isn't for you. I can tell you, for me, the gift of tongues is comforting. It's not weird. It's natural. As I pray in faith, trusting the Lord to understand uh, what I'm praying, it's very comforting to me, right? Just to know that God hears my heart beyond what I'm able uh, to, to um, you know, verbalize um, you know, Jude makes reference of the gift of tongues. Jude 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, right? And Paul says when he prays in tongue, it's building our own faith, right? He says uh, that, the, that we're, when we exercise this gift, it's a self-edifying gift. It builds me up. I don't understand it, but it builds me up. 
And one more thing that I think is really important to consider in regards to the gift of tongues. Look down at verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. The Spirit gives the utterance, but you control the volume. That's important. I've seen people stand up in the middle of a Bible study and they begin to speak in an unknown tongue. And they say, you know what? The Spirit prompted me, you know? Uh, I think that that's debatable, that that was actually the Holy Spirit. I don't think the Spirit causes anyone to do anything disruptive in church or obnoxious or ridiculous or even embarrassing. You know, I can remember one time in the middle of a service uh, at Calvary Costa Mesa, a person stood up and began speaking in tongues. And Pastor Chuck put a stop to it very quickly, right? The gift of tongues has a very important role to play in the personal life of a believer. While at the same time, it has a much, much smaller role to play in the corporate life of the church, especially in a public meeting. And again, we see here in our text uh, that the brief time that they spoke in that unknown tongues, as soon as it came time to preach, the tongues immediately stopped and Peter stood and preached in a language that everyone could understand so that they could be edified. Verse 14 says, Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice. And I'd stop right there. Isn't that just amazing? Right? Peter stands up in this crowd and raises his voice. It was literally just a few weeks earlier that Peter is cowering at the questions, a few questions of, the, of a little girl, right? And now in this crowd, and make no mistake about it, in this crowd, there are people that are hostile towards Jesus, even people who have participated in his crucifixion. And here we see Peter standing up, raising his voice, beginning to preach salvation in the name of Jesus, right? It just speaks of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. When the Holy Spirit gets the life of the believer, gets control of the believer, and that person is surrendered to Jesus. You know, I won't speak for you, but I freely confess to each of you this morning, you know what? I need that work of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, the powerful, transforming work of the Holy Spirit you know, he's done great things in my life. He has, and he's to be praised. But how I need, how I want even more. And again, notice that Peter begins to preach. The tongues stop. And right now you say, yeah, yeah, we get it, Gary. You've mentioned it three or four times. I repeat it because it seems to be something that people don't really understand in regards to the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit is never going to interrupt himself. He's never going to compete with himself. When he's moving through the teaching of the word, he's not going to prompt someone in the middle of the Bible study to stand up and begin speaking in tongues. It's not what the Holy Spirit does. He's just not going to do it. Someone may, may ask, why not? And how can you be so sure? Because the Bible says that God does all things decently in order. He's not the author of confusion. So if you stand up in the middle of one of our Bible studies and begin speaking in tongues, I'll just let you know right now, it's not going to be welcomed. You know, it's just not welcome. As far short as I fall in my attempts to expound on the word of God, hey, this is what we're doing. We're, we're seeking to hear from the Lord through his word. And God's not going to interrupt the teaching of his word, right? He's not going to compete with himself. There's a time and place for the gifts to be exercised in the body, including the gift of tongues. And right now, that time and place in our church is Saturday nights during the prayer meeting when we're waiting on the Lord. Frequently, I'll, I'll just say, hey, let's just stop and wait on the Lord. Maybe he'll give you a word of prophecy. Maybe he'll give you a tongue. Let's just wait on him. Seek his heart, you know, ask him to speak to us. That's the time and the place right now in our body. Furthermore, there are clear directions in God's words regarding how this uh, gift is to be exercised. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 28, Paul instructs the Corinthian church saying, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you have a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, meaning the buildup of the entire body. If anyone speaks in a tongue, 
let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Paul says, you know, in the church, maximum three, two or three, but no more. Each one in turn. Not all a free-for-all, not everyone speaking over each other, right? Uh, if someone speaks in a tongue, the church is to stop and wait for that interpretation. And if I'm leading uh, the time, if no interpretation comes, then I'll say, okay, at this time, the, that gift of tongues can't, uh, shouldn't be uh, operated uh, publicly. You're able to just speak to yourself. You're to stop doing it publicly. Again, but you can still speak in tongues, but you just do it quietly to yourself in order not to be a distraction to the service or people around you. Look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 39 to 40. He says, therefore, brethren, Desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently in order. The gift of tongues is not to be forbidden in the church, but it is to be subject to the rules laid out in Scripture that it would be done properly and in order for the edification of all. Verse 14, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And heed my words, for these are not drunk, uh, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. What Peter is saying here is, even though you think these guys are drunk, that's just a ridiculous uh, thought because it's not even uh, nine in the morning, right? In those days, in that culture, Jews didn't eat or drink anything until after nine. It's just the way they did things in the culture. You know, I, I, I think it's kind of crazy when you think about it, you know, I've, I've, in my lifetime, I've been around a few drunks and I've never witnessed any drunk spontaneously standing up and beginning to speak of the wonderful works of God in an unknown tongue. I mean, it's just ridiculous that that's what they came up with, that that's what they thought was happening there. But that's what the people did that day. They accused them of being drunk. They mocked the believers, you know. They, they, they had to say something in order to discount what was going on. Um, and we should take note from this verse. The, the takeaway from this verse is that, hey, guess what? There's always going to be mockers, right? As we seek to live for the Lord, as we give our lives to serve our Lord, right? As, as God does a work in our hearts, Right? does a work in our lives, there's always going to be people who will come against us, you know, who will be willing to accuse us of some silly thing or uh, mock us. There will always be people who will mock you when you're trying to take a stand for Jesus. It's just the way it is. There are always going to be people who are willing to make light of what God's doing in your life. There will always be people who will be willing to poo-poo what the Spirit is doing. Sadly, that's just the way it is. So what do we do? We just stand fast and trust in the Lord. You know, we trust uh, him to be with us. We trust him to lead us. We trust him to take care of us, to protect us in light of uh, these things. So this is a little bit different study we had this morning. It's one of those studies that's not super, all right, let's go storm the gates of hell or anything like that. But it's informative, and, and I hope that uh, this study brings some balance to each one of us this morning about the gift uh, of uh, the teaching on tongues. And, you know, something for us to take back and to look, look at. And again, if you hold a different view, hey, guess what? That's totally okay. But we all should be able to look at the Word of God independently of what anybody else may say and walk away with God's heart on the subject. And that's my heart, is that we would just understand the Word of God. Uh, Sandy would come up and we'll just pray and uh, ask the Lord uh, to bless us. Father, I do thank you. This is just one of many gifts that you've given to your church. This is one of many gifts that you've given to each one of us. Lord, and, and uh, you know, I may have this gift and, and uh, someone else may have that gift. And somebody else may have a completely different gift. But Lord, it's, we make up that body of Christ. And, and I'm thankful for it. 
Lord, and, and what we would ask, Lord, is that you would pour out your spirit upon us individually, as couples, as families, and as a church, as one body in Christ. Lord, you would just pour out your spirit and that we would experience a fullness in areas where uh, we just have a deeper longing, be it the gift of tongues, be it uh, a gift of helps or administration or, or, or whatever the case may be, Lord. Fill us, use us, be glorified through us, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen.